Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. In our family this year, we've had one significant bereavement and another significant loss. The author C.S. Lewis on the death of his wife said, No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. Grief is indeed a frightening emotion, as well as fear, a multitude of other emotions can threaten to overwhelm a person going through an experience of grief. This is a moment that will probably hit the vast majority of us at one time or another. You might well be there now. You might tuck away the wisdom of my next guest to dip into in decades to come. She's Marge Stathakis, who's written a book called Thoughts in Bereavement, A Journey Through the Pain of Loss. It's an important contribution, I think, to the human condition. Marge, welcome to Open House. Thanks very much for sparing the time. Marge, what prompted you to write the book in the first place on grief? Um, Lee, I've been a counsellor for a, a large number of years. And during that time, I've travelled traveled with countless people through their pain and encountered various types of grieving and felt that I needed to create something that could be put into the hands of people in those first few weeks of their grieving, yes. uh, something that they could uh, explore through their own writing of their own experiences in this journal. What's the range of ways, Marge, in which, as I said, probably all of us will experience some kind of grief? It doesn't just have to be through bereavement. You're quite right. Um, as I've understood it, grief is about loss, any form of loss. And it could be loss of a loved one in death, or it could be the loss of a limb. Um, Also moving home, uh, divorce, disability. There's so many ways that we grieve loss. Yes. And uh, so, yes, the, the application is much wider than just loss through death. And grief is not just one emotion, you say. It's a collection of different feelings. What are they? There are a range of emotions and we can't even uh, predict how they will impact on us. Um, Initially, there would be the kind of feeling of numbness, uh, which actually, I believe, is a God-given protection in those first moments of shock. Yes. Um, There could be anger. And um, as I experienced it, the anger... Um, can be quite irrational at times. There can be times of depression, you know, where the whole world seems to grow grey. I think C.S. Lewis also said, her absence is like the sky spread over everything. And Mm. in that kind of depressed feeling, it feels as if everything has been affected. Um, there, There is bargaining, particularly in if, if it's anticipatory grief in the situation of terminal illness, where a person may bargain with God, um, if I do this, will you heal my loved one? Yes. Um, and then there comes to a time of um, where you have not reached acceptance yet, but you just accept that it has happened, but it's not that creative acceptance where you can continue with your life. It's more of a uh, resignation, but then moving forward 
to a creative acceptance. Yes. There can be also physical effects, Marge, in addition to the emotions. Very real. Very real. Um, Tension headaches are common. Unexplained aches and pains. Tight feeling in the chest. Lack of sleep. And another phenomena too is that sometimes people mirror the um, symptoms of the one that has died and feel those particular pains in their own body. What an amazing manifestation. Mm, It's almost a a kind of identification. Marge, what do you say is the difference between grief and mourning? Because you distinguish between the two of those. As we look at grief, grief is grieving the loss of something. And I think, as I understand it, mourning is a specific journey that we undertake. Which is more a long-term thing. It it could be a longer-term thing, but it's also a a process, if I could call it that. Yes. It's a process that should have a beginning and move towards an end. There are no distinct time limits on this process, though. There's not. You know, we're so uniquely, we we experience things differently and each loss has its own set of circumstances which can either complicate the, the process or it can uh, simplify it. I guess we've all had the experience of uh, meeting or knowing a friend who has lost a loved one or suffering some kind of grief and we struggle to think to know what to say, and often it's not what we say that matters the most. You're quite right. Sometimes just being with a person is more important than what we say. Yes. Some years ago, uh, a man who had lost his child said his greatest comfort was when a person held him and cried with him. And didn't say anything necessarily? Say anything initially. No. I mean, there's the powerful lesson of Job's comforters who did their worst with him when they sought to impose their own muddle-headed views about what was going on and why it was going on, did the best with him when they just sat with him in silence. That's right. And so often, I know I've done it too, we put our foot in it and say the wrong thing. And um, uh, we realise immediately that we've caused more harm than good. Is there a helpful way to open a conversation in that sort of circumstance? Yes. I think there there are probably a number of ways, but one that I've found helpful is just to ask gentle questions like, um, um, how were you told about the loss? Actually, just drawing out of the person their story of the grief. At this stage, not offering any solutions or quotes or anything, but just being meaningfully with a person. And they will guide you because basically they are longing for somebody to listen. There's so much more listening that needs to be done than talking for probably quite a while. You're quite correct. And I often say we have to listen with our eyes, look and see what we're seeing in their face, in their eyes. We've got to listen with our ears, those special words. We've got to listen with our heart so that we can pick up the feelings. And we must listen with our soul 
because the Holy Spirit is guiding us. And not rush to judgment and not rush to fix it. Well, one can't actually fix grief, can you? No. And that, that is a fault we try. We try to fix it. We try to make it better. But actually, it has to take its own course. And uh, judgment, I think judgment is foolish in any circumstance because we never know all the facts. What are some of the things that we should try to avoid saying, especially in that early circumstance? I think uh, trying to cheer a person up with uh, chirpy comments can be uh, even irritating to a grieving person. I, I think we have to avoid any cliches because they will detect that it's mere cliches. And I think particularly um, I've encountered where comments when you've lost a child, somebody would say, but, you know, you've got three others. That is not a helpful comment. Um, Or trying to point out kind of Pollyanna bright side of the scenario. In the initial raw pain, there's no bright side. Best to just stay quiet, I think. Quiet and sensitive, gentle comments and questions. Yes. On Open House, we're with Marge Stathakis, who's uh, authored, I think, a very, very helpful uh, book, as I said, that would probably apply to most of us, the vast majority of us, at one time or another in our life. The book is Thoughts in Bereavement. Marge, can I ask you about children as opposed to adults? Do children grieve in different ways? I've often been very concerned about the children because the adults uh, seem to be wrapped up in their own journey, which is natural and normal. But children uh, do grieve in different ways, um, depending on their age, depending on their personality, and depending on their relationship with the deceased. Often children can't verbalize their feelings. So if one is observant of their play, of the comments they make, uh, it can be very helpful. In fact, uh, uh, children often have depth of understanding of death that we adults maybe have lost. It's good to listen to them. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, working with uh, terminally ill children, spoke of their symbolic language. And I find it with the grieving children as well. They have symbolic language that they speak or write or play. Can you give us an example of that, March? One of the children um, uh, was nearing the end of her life and uh, people didn't speak to her about her uh, imminent death, but she spoke up and she said that she's going to go to another land and that she's going to travel very soon to this other land. Another instance was a 10-year-old that was um, also uh, towards the end of his life, and he was in church with his parents, and he asked permission to have communion with them. And they went forward and had communion, and he died the following week. If I'm an adult who is close to uh, one of these children, perhaps someone in the process of losing their life or is grieving themselves the loss of a loved one, if I'm a teacher, youth group leader, friend, how would you help me help them? 
I would say to be inclusive, inclusive in the rituals of grieving, inclusive in the, the funeral service, obviously being sensitive and having a caring, uh, maybe another relative with a child at the funeral. But if children are excluded, it may increase a feeling of guilt that they may, children are sometimes egocentric and if something bad happens, they may feel they are responsible and the exclusion may make them feel that they have done something bad or that they don't belong. So sensitive inclusion, I think, is a very important factor and allowing them to see your grief. And not be afraid to show that. That's right. That's right, because as they see your grief, they will also eventually see your recovery. And for them also to relate to them um, the losses that they've experienced, they may have lost a pet, and uh, that you could relate to that with them. Marge, do people with faith cope differently with grief, do you think? It's hard to generalise, I'm sure, but is that much of a helpful factor? Uh, Yes, as you said, it's hard to generalise. But uh, certainly in my experience, I have been inspired by the journey of believing people. There is the heart-wrenching grief. It's not that the pain is less, but there's not that sense of hopelessness. There is hope in the pain. And there's so many parts in the Bible that give comfort. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. And in that beautiful section in 1 Corinthians 15 where it speaks about uh, our transition from this life to the next, the reality of life beyond this, that gives a totally different slot to the whole process. So the, the concept of hope makes a difference? That makes a major difference. Yes. Hope and meaning, understanding that perhaps that this is part of of our uh, total journey. It's not the end, it's part of it. Somebody said death is just a doorway into the next phase. It's not trying to put a gloss on death though? Not at all, not at all because it is painful, it impacts one's whole life when you lose someone close to you. So it's not minimising that at all but it's just the added element that it's not the end. Marge, if people are truly having great difficulties settling back into life after a bereavement and after some time has elapsed, at what stage should they seek professional help and how can they find someone who's, who's best to help them? Lee, I think I'd like to answer that in two sections. One is in terms of children and teens. If, if the child is showing um, signs of depression, um, losing interest in interest in school, in activities, and perhaps over-identifying with a deceased person, either by totally refusing to uh, have the name mentioned or beginning to act like the person. I think that is a clear indicator that professional help is required. In adults, if they are stuck in the grief, it seems as if grief needs to be understood as a journey where there's a definite beginning, a process, and it emerging from it. Many years ago, I uh, worked with a, a woman whose daughter was killed in a, a motor car accident. And what she did was 
to make a shrine of her daughter's bedroom. And years later, she was still grieving. Somehow she had got stuck in her grief and lost interest in the rest of the family. The other children were neglected. And that's also a very, very clear indication that professional help is needed. Yes. And in fact, I would recommend, uh, you know, anyone, uh, if they felt the need to speak to somebody outside of the family, to make an appointment and speak to somebody. There's no shame in that. No shame in that. Grief is normal. Marge, what do you hope your book will do for people who read it, who tap into your great wisdom? Lee, I'm hoping that they would use it as a journal to record their feelings, and I'm hoping that the questions will help them in their understanding of their journey, in recognizing perhaps that they are normal, even though it feels so abnormal and unnatural. I know one person said, I think I felt as if I was losing my mind. And perhaps just reading and looking at uh, some of these examples and uh, what I've shared will help people to understand that not losing their mind, they're just in deep grief. Yes. There is great wisdom in it, and I think it's a really helpful thing, uh, even to prepare people for what often is the inevitable of, uh, of life. Marge, thank you very much indeed for sharing that wisdom with us on Open House. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for allowing me to do so. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.